Welcome back to the Perth Business Podcast. On this episode, we talk to Lockie Samuel, the FIFO mental health guy. His mission is to make mining the healthiest industry mentally and emotionally in Australia. If you listen to our episode with Becky Felstead, you're going to really love this one. A few trigger warnings because we talk all about how Lockie's start in life and the challenges that he came up against in order to find his vocation, the good he's doing in the mining space, and why it's necessary for FIFO workers, as well as the bigger companies, to consider mental health in the workplace. We're really keen to hear what you guys think about this episode, so make sure you drop into our DMs or leave a comment on the post on LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram, and hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Perth Business Podcast. Lockie, thanks so much for joining us. Super exciting. It's cool to be here. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying you've tried out a different studio and this one's obviously the best because um, it's a hen house, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> um, how are you going this morning? Uh, this morning's been very cruisy. My life my life at the moment is cruisy though. Yeah. Like in okay. terms of ah. managing work and family life, it's really just like creating space to be with my girls and my partner. Yeah. Oh, that's um, good. When I'm not working. So, like, as busy as it gets sometimes, my yeah. life is cruisy in comparison Chilling to out. most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's oh, good. that's good. Embrace it while yeah, it's right. on. Right? Enjoy yeah. the sunshine. Go to the beach. <laughs> Lockie, you've experienced the good and the bad of um, your role um, in FIFO in what you do at the moment, and I guess personally as well. Do you mind taking us through that and how it all started? Yep. Um how to wrap this up. So <laughs> No, we've got time. We've got time. <laughs> Take so your time. At about 19, um, yeah, I'll start at the end. At 19, I got caught out cheating on my partner with my best friend's partner. So at the time, I'm um, like a cheating narcissist. Mm. And like full trigger warning, there's going to be multiple triggers throughout this. Cheating narcissist, like alcoholic, addicted to ecstasy, selling ecstasy. And then got caught out cheating on my partner with my best friend's partner. And so wow. me being me at the time... Being manipulative, like I'd destroy if I got close to being caught out and my partner finding out, I'd destroy relationships. Like oh, anyone okay. I had to to make sure that I still had that good boy mask. Mm-hmm. So at 19, like there was no arguing, there was no escaping that. So um, instead of take responsibility and hold myself accountable mm-hmm. as that person, uh, I didn't have a single conversation with my friend at all, apart from him telling me to get screwed. Uh, I didn't didn't (laughs) face off any of the consequences and instead at 19 I booked a one-way ticket to Kalgoorlie from Auckland, of all places. Yeah, (laughs) of all places. You really don't want to be found. (laughs) (laughs) The most remote place, yeah. Yeah. So I got there and um, I just continued living that life except this time I wasn't a plumbing apprentice making like 400 bucks a week. I was a, a scaff bro making a couple grand, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. More access to, to all the different coping mechanisms and went through the ups and downs of that lifestyle. Met someone, like thought we fell in love. It was just a really toxic relationship where we were filling each other's void. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, she went through depression, me working away, Tears the night before, don't go. Tears the, the morning of, dropping me off to the airport. Um, and me at the time, because I identified as the hardworking FIFO scaff bro. It was like my badge of honour. Mm. So I could go into a pub and be like, yeah, I work FIFO. Mm. Um, I make yeah, X yeah, amount yeah. of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially coming from a poor, like a poor suburb or neighbourhood and not yeah. really expected to do much. Yeah, um, that was my badge, and so when she went through depression and started threatening to take her life unless I stopped, didn't didn't have any empathy or compassion. Right, um, yeah, that's quite 
yeah, yeah. Dealing, and so yeah. eventually that you know that did go as as far as it could go. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still here now, and, and we've got a kid. But I didn't stop working away, even when she did attempt. Mm. Like that's how deep in my own shit I was. Right. That's yeah. <laughs> that's how much I identified, and how how little empathy and compassion I had for other people. Right. Super selfish, and so after losing her, I, I realized that uh, having a, a partner was like a form of validation. It wasn't like a uh, a mutual arrangement where I had as much respect for them as they did for me and mm-hmm. it wasn't like the amount of love they were giving I was giving back. I didn't really know how to love. Like love to me was power. So yeah. I just treated everyone like really, really yeah. poorly. Yeah. Um, and losing her, I, I realised I lost that and I didn't really know how to validate myself. So I spiralled pretty hard, wasted money, borrowed thousands, got into debt. Um, and then eventually attempted myself. Right. Um, not too long after you know, that ex told me she was pregnant, I tried to force her into an abortion, um, and that just went on like that toxic relationship, mostly my side, mm-hmm. obviously showing up in that that interaction. Um, and then it got to a point where they moved because I hurt them so much here, mm-hmm. um, and then I attempted. So in in those moments, although that's like dark. And a lot of people, they get really awkward when I talk about that, mm. and it's it's understandable because yeah. we don't talk about. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. you kind of did that so naturally. Like I haven't heard anyone talk about things like that so openly. Um, and then so from there, like just losing her, I lost lost that identity, and then obviously attempted. But on the back end of that, although that was, I'd say the the hardest moment of my life bar like one last year. Um. I got to choose, like, in that moment, do I keep being selfish? And me being mean, like, I was doing everything that I was because I was ashamed to be, yeah. like, ashamed of myself, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I got to choose, like, do I do I keep living that way? Do I keep hurting people? Do I keep lumping and compounding the shame? Or do I choose something else? And that something else was, like, shit, just try and be a good dad. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's it. So it's just been this relentless pursuit since then. Started with like reading a book by Deepak Chopra, and I thought I was oh. going to be the next greatest like meditator. <laughs> I was preaching <laughs> meditation. I just didn't even know how to do it. You yeah. know, I was like <laughs> sitting there doing all the poses. Oh started gosh. yoga, like <laughs> photography. That. Got yeah. into like chasing sunsets. I I did a a thing for a year. I I went and did a, a sunrise or a sunset for a year, yeah. not knowing oh. how like potent grounding and earthing is. Um, for mental health, wow. uh, getting into nature and just yeah. being able to appreciate like beauty without needing arousal from beauty and yeah. beauty from landscapes. So yeah, yeah, um, just really worked on myself since then, and I've got to a point where, although I went back to FIFO, like I lost a friend, I got evacuated for being suicidal myself in 2017, which sort of sparked all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's all happened, and I've been through those highs and lows, I'm very proud of. The man I am now, in comparison to who I was, mm. it's huge like huge difference. Just yeah. the just the other week, um, one of my one of my friends was talking shit about someone else, and I was just like, mm, "That's like I've been that person. I don't like the anxiety that comes with and the worry that comes with talking shit about someone, and you know maybe they find out. It's like I'd rather not have this conversation with you, yeah, because that's not who I want to be. Yeah, like. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah." So it's come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, last last year, mid last year, I found out that my uh, 
uh, daughter, the six-year-old, um, from that story. She's yeah. not actually my daughter. So oh my goodness. she met her real dad mid last year and that's just been like shedding layers, learning how to deal with that, learning how to grieve, learning how to let that go, um, learning how to make her feel safe enough with me to be happy with her mum and her dad, mm. um, wow. which has been a, a lesson and a blessing in itself. Mm. So far out, there's a lot that's going on, but essentially after being evacuated for being suicidal in 2017, I started a podcast, which went really well. Yep. Across Australia and New Zealand. What was um, it? It's called Open Up. Mm-hmm. It's a, a mental health podcast. I stopped it last year just because yep. I didn't have the passion for it anymore. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but unintentionally, like it started as a podcast for people in their dongers at camp. Mm. Um, and it's just given me all these different opportunities to speak, which I don't know if speaking's a fair for you guys, but mm-hmm. I was that person at school who like, did everything he could to get out of speeches. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah right. Even now I don't like speaking to more than one-on-one like, groups. I don't enjoy it, but I know I have to do it and I still react like horribly. Like I get the yeah. cold sweats and the heart beating and shaky voice. Yeah. And even if I'm just like standing up and introducing myself, I completely like I'll forget what my name is. I'm like, <laughs> ah, who is this person? And later they're like, wow, that was great. I didn't know you did this. And you're like, oh, thank God I got away with it. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I – Speaking for me, like, what took me so long moving over here, because it's always been, like, my dream to live in Australia, being mm-hmm. from NZ, um, it was always my dream to live in Australia and to have, uh, like, the classic how we're advertised Australia and New Zealand. It's like, blonde hair, blue-eyed woman on a beach. And oh I was my like, God. That's, that's my dream. And so <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm living Bondi. my dream now. <laughs> Bondi beach babes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, my the thing that – that made me take so long to move over here was like deathly afraid of spiders. So oh my god! <laughs> even more than spiders was speaking. Wow! But now, like through repetition, it's just oh, more. like actually arachnophobia kind of level. Or oh, I I hate spider like daddy long legs. No. Oh wow! <laughs> Wow. I've got like seven in my room. I was going to say, there's an exposure. Okay, that freaks me out. But like exposure therapy, I think, is a thing. Like now when I see daddy long legs, I'm like, it's a good thing because I hate mosquitoes more than daddy long legs and they eat mosquitoes. I'm like, daddy long legs are my friends. I don't have a single mosquito in my room. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, cool. So you exposed yourself to public speaking pretty recently, actually. Well, 2022 now. What was that, five years ago? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shit is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. I was like, yeah, I was going to say three years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the podcast you started was 2017. Yeah, five years ago. Yeah, yeah. It would have been like the end of 2017, and I remember that because crypto crashed. Oh right. And I had a lot of money from my oil and gas and crypto. Oh (laughs) shit! (laughs) Did that make it onto the pod? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, so through that sort of vocation of you know. Having well, like that huge catalyst, it sounds like you and you're still feeling the effects of decisions made in that previous sort of lifetime that you lived. Um, and it sounds like you did embrace like a new sort of who you are, a new way of life that mental health, eat, pray, love. Actually, I feel like you went and did that a little bit of eat, pray, love, Ooh. um, without the religion part of it, <laughs> eat, eat, meditate, love, I guess. <laughs> um, and you've come out the other end. So I feel like you've also acknowledged in that story that you're still on the journey. So you're still dealing with stuff like this year, end of last year, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, what for you, um, 
why, I guess my question is, why are you helping other people do that as well? Like, how did that come about? Well, to be very honest, I think my, not I think, I know, my mum, as I was growing up, she used to tell me, like, my, she used to go to a psychic, and mm. she used to tell me, oh, the, the psychic said you're going to be a healer. And, I, you know, I just used to laugh at her. I was like, mm. psychics, <laughs> like, yeah. that's not real. Yeah. And then eventually, as I moved over here and moved to Perth, there were psychics here and friends were like, go, go try it. So I did the same thing, got told, like, you're meant to be healing. Um, and to be honest, it was a mixture of that initially and trying to create self-worth mm-hmm. within myself. Like, because I felt so unworthy and so embarrassed about being me, it was like, oh, what can I do that would make me feel good about myself? Mm-hmm. And I realised fairly quickly that helping people with, with their issues, which has always been a, a strength of mine to like listen to people's stories, um, listen to their experiences and listen to their heartache mm-hmm. uh, and just be there as emotional support. Um, so it really was just a mixture of the two. Like being told that, being having that affirmed as a kid um, and having that belief as much as I wanted to resist it uh, and then trying to create self-worth and finding something that made me feel worthy where I could be proud of myself and that's yeah. like a constant work in progress yeah yeah, okay. yeah and do you find in the space with men yeah. that's particularly um important but also difficult like how do you find working in the space as a man um working with other men uh to be honest i prefer for me because like i've sabotaged a lot of opportunities to work with women mm-hmm. like i've outwardly come out uh, i did like a big coaching block where I was just primarily men, like I was a men's coach, mm-hmm. and did that because I was afraid to, to lean in and step in with women because it was like, what right do I have as someone who's treated women so poorly right. to be in this yeah, space, okay. you know? Um, and as I've moved through mining and had, um, you know, I've had complaints from, from women where I use the word dick instead of penis in a story mm-hmm. or something um, and being barred from a company because of that, like working with them because of that. And it's for me. It's just learning how to how I need to show up for women. Right. Like I can definitely right. work with women, and I love it, and I love being that emotional support, and that makes me feel just as um, proud of myself as working with men. But for me, it's like this constant process of shedding layers and learning how I have to show up and yeah. change um, my tone, my energy. Um, my mannerisms to make a woman feel safe because with a man I can challenge a man like on that masculine level and ex- have this expectation that he steps up mm-hmm. and most men will be like oh shit like I need to step up at some point mm-hmm. yeah. and if they fall down it's like cool I, I feel comfortable like holding you in that space and reflecting back to you what you need to acknowledge and accept and surrender and allow in order to become someone who can take that step yeah with a woman like I'm still learning. Yeah. So I'm still learning how to feel safe myself, but also how to create safety for, for them. Yeah. Do you think if that um, sort of resonated and, like, kept expanding um, to the people that you're, I guess, workshopping with, do you think there would be a bit more um, availability for women to be on site? Do you think that would encourage a bit more of that? Or do you think it would make a difference? I think... It's got to come back to that. This is why uh, originally, when the stuff with Becky, like the sexual harassment yeah, stuff, because yeah. that hasn't kicked off yet. Like we've 
gone and done the presentations to all the bigwigs and to the heads of different sites and projects, mm. um, and it still hasn't kicked off, and we're not we're not sure why. But originally, I got asked to do that myself. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify, it's the partnership for people who don't know about you and Becky. So Becky Felstead is the person that you partner with to present, I guess, to, you say, the big wigs, big companies that in yep. um, mining and construction. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, mainly, like, if you think about big the companies that facilitate FIFO, I guess, is how I would think of it as an outsider to that world. Um, you guys go and speak to them in the context of sexual harassment on the work, in the workplace. Yeah. On site. Yeah. Yep. So originally I got asked to do that myself or find a man to do that himself. Right. Um, and it was just like Relatable. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just like why why? Like yeah. why would we take that route? Yeah. Yeah. And there are obviously with the inquiry a lot of women suffering right. from being victims of sexual harassment on site. Like yeah. is that gonna make a woman feel safe enough to open up? Probably mm. not. Mm. So what and this is this is what what I feel will work and create that safety for women to have more women go inside is to have a man telling a story of how poorly he's treated women, so that the men are like, oh shit, like mm, I've yeah. done some of that stuff yeah. myself, and it's, it's not like, on anymore. It's yeah. immediately not like you're all of you guys are in the same bucket where we accuse you of sexual harassment because that's mm. a lot of the guys' fears. And so, in creating that connection, I hope to break down those walls so that when someone like Becky comes and shares a story of sexual harassment on site, the guys are like, oh, Terrible, I didn't yeah. understand that, that that was sexual harassment too. I don't understand that this behaviour where I treat a woman so poorly can lead to that right. um, and enable other people to, to show up and behave that way. You know, So right. I'm hoping that if we have that dynamic and that plays out through the industry and it's facilitated on enough sites that we have enough awareness for men, number one, around what behaviours acceptable mm-hmm. um, because we've got this influx of women and, yeah. and we can't just continue the same culture that we have because it's bloody toxic. Yeah. Um, and number two, give them tools to, to regulate themselves, give them tools to yeah. make better decisions. Give I was going to ask what's the next step because obviously you do a workshop Yeah. and then these people have this knowledge, but what do they do with it next? So is At that the moment, there really isn't mm. a next step. Yeah, okay. Is we can say hey, you're feeling this way, like I can have a conversation with you, but that's really where it stops for me. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, what else can you take on? Yeah, but, yeah that's where it stops, you know, and, and they've got EAP services, which are like yeah. employee assistance yeah. programs. It's a, usually it's a poster with a phone number stuck on the wall it in is. the crib I don't know anyone that's actually called that. I think one person that I has spoken about it once because I was like, we have what? And they're like, yeah, I've called it once. They <laughs> sent me to a psych and that I went once. Yeah. So, so some of them can be good, I'm sure. But I think I, it's like three. I'm constantly trying to encourage it, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's what you can do. It's low nationally. It's three yeah. three to seven percent. Right. I think seven is very high, but um, they're not they're not set up in a way which promotes or enables people to use it. No. So at it's, the moment, I think it's two to three week wait time. So if like if you finally do find the courage to call, it's like you've been told there's this number on the wall. You can talk to these people, they'll understand you, there's no judgment, yeah. um, and you can express yourself. So if you finally find that courage to do that and call someone, you get an admin who says, oh, we can book you in for a call in two weeks, or oh you can God, come into it. the office in three, um, you know, what What do you do with that? Yeah, because usually if you're at that point where you 
want to call someone. Yeah, you kind of need Like to you're in the moment, yeah. You're kind of like you're in that space right then and there or at least in the day, next day or two. Like you're like I could maybe wait 24 hours or 48, but two weeks, four weeks, nah. <laughs> That's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty tough place to be in. So I think at the moment there are a whole bunch of different people in this space trying to work out what's the follow-on steps to create like a safety net to create an outlet for people who are ready to take action. Because if mm-hmm. we don't give them an outlet, a space or a pathway to do that, they're going to be stuck in that same like perpetual cycle or loop of suffering or potential mm-hmm. suffering. Mm. So yeah. It sounds like you guys are one part of that, like one part of the process and one part of the journey for someone who might reach out and need that assistance or need the awareness, like you're the awareness stage, right? So you need people at the other ends of the funnel there's my marketing side coming out. Are the <laughs> ends of the funnel to like when they're considering whether they want to reach out and talk to someone and what's available and then when they actually need to take steps to make changes. Um, and I would imagine the FIFO lifestyle is not very flexible in terms of um, like facilitating a life outside of that. So what's it like for people who have had to take leave? Like when you were suicidal and you were removed from, you know, your workplace, what impact does that have on someone like you when – you've got nothing else to do and you are not at the best peak of your mind, like your mental health, and they just take you out of the workplace and say, yep, go deal with that separately. What's a, what's that like? How does that impacting everyone, do you think? I think FIFO has largely been, up until the last couple of years, it's been risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. So it's mm. if, if you're deemed a risk or a hazard on site, you're generally fired. So like fired under the guise of um, being evacuated. Mm-hmm. So it's like a... You can't work here anymore. We have to terminate like your your contract. And most people in that state of mind are just going to be like, "Yeah, cool." Yeah. Yeah, cool. Because they they feel so worthless, you know. Yeah. They Feel so hopeless. Yeah. And so with with my one, looking back, like I got put on the first bus and flight, and then I got a call while I was at the the Onslow Airport. And it's like just making sure you're at the airport. You're going to get on the flight. And I'm like, yep. And then from there, never heard from them again. Wow! And then two two years late, two years later, I called I called them up and said, "Hey, we're doing this tour of WA for mental health. Um, do you want to be a sponsor?" Yeah, like, do you remember me? This is <laughs> yeah. this is what happened. Um, and the the HR the HR lady was like, "Oh, we don't have a record of you like being evacuated." So for a lot of places, um, I know a lot of this gets swept under the rug as as do suicides, as do all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's very hard to tell. But for someone in that position, I think it's just a break. Like mm. if you're a lot of those issues or whatever you have going on are going to be compounded by the fact that you're disconnected. You're you probably got management who don't understand mental health, so they probably make you feel like a burden without meaning to, and mm. no no fault of the managers at all because they're not trained to do that. Yeah. And then you probably got a workforce who don't understand it as well, and one of the big things in FIFO is if you find a weakness, it's like pick at it. You pick yeah. at it until someone explodes and it's like, yes, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah. So it's it's probably a good break for people because being away is exacerbating whatever issues are there. Right. And a lot of people run to FIFO for the wrong reasons. You yeah. know, they run there because of the, the badge of honour, the validation, money. the money, yeah. mm-hmm. without taking into consideration like, hold on, am I equipped? to communicate with my partner. Mm. Am I someone yeah. who takes responsibility if I miss a call when I promised a call? Mm. You know, because we have a lot of men in FIFO who 
uh, avoid a lot of the stuff that they really should tackle. Yeah, mm-hmm. like rosters and stuff like that. If your rosters are changed, you just have no idea like yeah. how you're going to cope with that with family life. You go from a two and two to a three and one. People don't really think because they're like, oh, great, more money. It's like that's three weeks away from your home life. That's my brother. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a long time, mm. even four weeks sometimes. It's mad. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. In your role, Hannah, have you ever dealt with, like, because would you deal with that side of things when people are leaving site? Because I know I've heard a lot about you helping people get onto site and that, like, managing that side of things. Uh, what's your experience from a HR position of people leaving? In what way, like, in? If they need to leave in a similar to Lockie's situation, if they're, like, has it changed much from your experience? I haven't had a lot to deal with that mm. side of things. Um, mm. It's usually dealt with by upper upper management, mm. but even it, yeah, I I would actually I can't yeah. yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be able to tell you how that kind of thing is dealt with. I might be seeing it happen without knowing it's happening. Like yeah. I, th- I think it's still one of those things. It's like like you said, it can be swept under the rug. It can be not approached in the way it should be, or yeah. it is being approached in the way it should be, but it's not exposed to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, can you tell us then, Lucky, how you met Becky and how that, like, how did your relationship with Becky start? Ooh, okay, so Becky, I think we were, we were like Instagram mutual I, friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like As all good relationships cheer, start, yeah. besties, <laughs> yeah. Cheerleading each other on like uh, stories and stuff, like, yeah, you go girl. Oh, because you guys, queen. like <laughs> professionally, because you knew what she was doing professionally, she knew what you were doing, and you're like, "Yes, yeah. we are birds of a feather." When did yeah. you meet, by the way? Uh, oh, on the Fife for Happiness tour, that's when we actually uh, met. Yeah. I think I did a podcast with her beforehand. Yeah, I was doing a, a men's course for guys who had insecurity around the size of their penis. Oh, so, yeah, so, so, so <laughs> stuff doing, you don't talk about. Yeah, I love exactly. That. Yeah. So I was doing that um, when I met her, and that's what we got talking about. Mm-hmm. And then on the Fife for Happiness tour, what's this year? Twenty, so twenty twenty, end of twenty twenty. Yeah, we went around WA. Um, drove around, yep. silly me, and mm. I think we got to we got to a Rio site, and she was there for a company called Sodexo, looking after mm. like well being mm-hmm. um, and the gym and stuff. And I did my presentation, and she drove from one site to ours to to watch it, mm-hmm. um, and she was just super stoked. And from there, it's just been this constant relationship. Yep. Um, ended up coaching her a little bit around emotion. Um, and then putting her in a position where she could speak about her story, yeah. Because um, I think that's a like a lot of people want to share and s- tell their story, but it's like, do you have the emotional capacity to deal with constantly telling that, yeah. and then having to deal with the emotion from other people that comes off the back? So yeah, we ended up doing that coaching block, and then got presented that opportunity by Rio to do to do a tour with sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Becky was like the first person. I was like. Man, I love how she's showing up with Quit Your Bitching. She's yep. coming yeah. out in her undies. She's mm-hmm. she's just showing up really powerfully, um, yep. even though she's been going through challenges herself. Yep. And I respect her, um, but above all, like I trust her mm. as a person. Like mm. As a man who's had issues with women and who at times shuts himself down in the way that he shows up, mm-hmm. she makes me feel really safe to be myself. So it's like, cool, if there's anyone I'm going to do this with, it's probably her so yeah. that's how that's all worked out and we she's like this energizer bunny and yeah. I'm like the sloth 
you know, and so we, we kind of mix really, really well. The best partnership. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm Flash from Zootopia. I love that. Ah, yes. <laughs> I love that imagery. Um, yeah, cool. So what's your plan in the future then? Because you've done a lot of this um, individual speaking. You kind of have tried. You you guys are trying the sexual health um, workshops at the moment. What do you reckon um, is for the future? Because I imagine it's quite an unpredictable landscape where you're not sure what's going to, like, what you, you know, put out there is going to stick um, and what is going to make a difference and a positive impact. To be honest, I think I could keep going, and I had this realisation two days ago with my partner, because mm. it's been it's been four or five years of me really wanting to help people mm-hmm. and then being presented opportunities and not feeling good enough and then sabotaging those opportunities and, learning how over time it's like, okay, no, if I'm working this hard, I, I kind of deserve that. Yeah. And then allowing myself to receive. So at the moment, like we're left Fight for Happiness last year and we're doing really well mm. as a, a company, as a company with just me, myself and my partner. Mm. So realized two days ago that I really don't need to, one of my focus has been like to scale. I want to find people like me so that I can help more people, impact mm-hmm. more people. Yeah. It's like, no, I can live a very good life if I just keep doing what I'm doing um, and staying at the place we're at, like in terms of finances and the work that's coming in mm-hmm. based off of like the awareness and all the different initiatives we have going. Yeah. Mm. So it's like very maintainable and I live a very good life doing that. Yeah. Um, but the next thing is I've got a 28-day a FIFO mindset challenge coming up. Um when I decided to let go of coaching and do FIFO, I was like, okay, I'm doing FIFO, but I'm not doing any coaching. Mm-hmm. And so now with with the, the contracts that we got at the moment, it's like being postponed and having my flights cut because I'm, I'm non-operational, like while COVID and the border and mm-hmm. state travellers are coming back. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, maybe it's time to create something that doesn't rely on a mobilisation team, on HR, like putting everything together to get us on site Mm -hmm. and then counting on like environmental factors to allow that to happen. It's like maybe I put something together that gives people an opportunity to jump in no matter where they're at, they're at that's not dependent on the mining company actually giving time and resources. and all that. Do you have to do that every time? Yep. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Medicals and all that, or uh, not? not? Not medicals. Drug no, and alcohols. Drug and alcohols. Drug and alcohols. Um, a visitor pass kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I had to do a full medical when I went to site. Like that would have been strange for Are you. Are you a pom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> Exposed. <laughs> <laughs> we allow her on the podcast. <laughs> Don't judge me for that. (laughs) (laughs) We're all not from Perth. I love that. (laughs) Where are you from? I'm from South Africa. Oh, shit. Yeah, you wouldn't have guessed. eh? No. No. I lost my accent. In Melbourne, they say things like castles and plants. And I remember being like, castles? We don't have castles. Like, in South Africa, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) It's a castle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can't remember what we're talking about. One of the... Got a couple of South African friends, and one of the <laughs> things they say that cracks me up is like, instead of saying "see you later," they'll oh. be like, "I'll see you now." Yeah, like, oh yeah, see you um, now. now. No. Yeah. Uh, no, you won't. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going. <Yeah. laughs> no, you won't. No, you will not. <laughs> see you now. <laughs> I'll see you just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
my friends take the piss out of me for I don't even say that stuff. Like they my friends are more South African than I am. Like they all put the accent on, and they'll say things like, Oh shame. And I'm just like takes me back to my childhood. <laughs> I've been completely Australian washed. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's cool that you've made such a difference in WA being not from WA. Like, and do you mm. think you're going to stay in WA given that there are the FIFO um, mantelpiece sits here for Australia? There's a lot of work here yeah. to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yep. who was it that said we're always a little bit behind? Um, when we're talking to Tanya Ciccone from CEOs for Gender Equity, she said where WA always does it better, we're always a little bit more behind and the gap is a little bit bigger, which is, yeah, it's true. Mm. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do I do see us staying here longer term, mm-hmm. but one of my one of my goals is like a personal random goal, both myself and my partner, is to live in Austin in Texas. So. Ah. Oh, random. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's like um, I'm not too sure if – like you know of um, like obviously like the Joe Rogans, the Tim Ferriss, um, Aubrey mm-hmm. Marcus yep. from On It, that big group, Preston Smiles, who like did our facilitated our coaching container, mm-hmm. and, like taught us all okay. how to coach. They're all there, and it's like this oh, okay. conscious business hub, and it's like man, I really want to go there and experience what it's like. Yeah, right. to Are live. People? Yeah, and, and would you take five for mental health there? No, I think. Well, do they even do five? Oh, they okay. they do out of Houston. I'm pretty sure they do a lot of like oil and gas rigs. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, I had a lot of friends who work off off the coast of America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't take it there. I would set something up here so that somebody could yeah. run it. Yeah. Mm. While I have like a I don't know what you'd call it gap year. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky yeah. on gap year, yeah. you're just with the Tim Ferrisses and everyone's yeah. yeah, barbecuing every up day. In Austin, Texas. Yeah, I was gonna say you can buy like a huge house there for like two dollars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I think the good thing, like this is also and the same for whiskey. You bring that all your learnings from America over here and it just like we bring another layer of depth to it or a different angle in Australia and WA in particular because of you have resources here and the particular unique situations here. So yep. I think that's an awesome idea. I think yeah. one of the things that intrigues me about the US is in doing, um, it's called Bridge bridge and Extreme Leadership with Preston and his partner. And a lot of coaches from Aussie like go to that mm. um, in the personal de- development, like spiritual space. And as part of that, like some of the exercises were, we had to take a, they gave us different objects like give you an envelope and it's like this is your object over lunchtime over morning tea you're going to go out and you're going to swap this for something worth x amount oh, yeah. and oh, so okay. it's like that story of someone flipping yeah. a, a red clip for a house yeah yeah right. and so it's they gave us that Burning and then <laughs> when everyone come back it's like you know me i got this plastic spoon and i just went across the street to get over and done with and swapped it for i don't know what it was like a little container yeah oh, and yeah. then we come back they grilled us around like what is it with Australians and New Zealanders that you guys don't allow yourself to dream bigger than a container? And it's like, what do you mean? And, <laughs> and they're like, well, if, if we go to London, if we go to the US and we give someone a paper clip to swap for something of X amount of value, they'll come back with uh, a suit. They'll come back with a, a pair of shoes. They'll come back with whatever. <laughs> and they're like, they, they're what? not afraid to allow themselves to receive yeah. and to dream big. Here, wow. you guys are too too afraid to ask for something in case you get rejected. Right. And it's like that's not the culture we have. Like 
in America, yeah. everyone's willing to fail. And, and so that's what I want to experience. I want to experience. That's really cool. I want to experience what it's like to be immersed in a culture where people are just going are for it. Like trust themselves so yeah. much that there's no limitations that they're willing to put on themselves. Yeah, right. It's like how, how much could, could we expand as people if we had that That's mindset? Awesome. Yeah. We had a kid on here. Um, Not a kid. Oh, my God. He's a full-grown adult. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a kid to me. Toby, um, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack Anderson, he's 21. We had him on the podcast and he had that mentality. And, like, we were compl- – I think we afterwards we were like – were we who he was talking about that the people who were just so overwhelmed by what he'd done by the age of like 18, let alone 21. Um, and he, yeah, he was like, I have that mindset of like, well, if I don't go for it, like I'm not going to get it. So I'm just going to go for it. You never know. And if I don't get it, it's like my expectations aren't set in stone. So it doesn't matter if I don't get it, I'll try the next time or do something different or which I like for us, it's such a mindset because growing up in a family, or I think it's a very, not even Australian. I think it's South African and, maybe even the English side of us is like you have the culture is like you go to school, you go to uni, you get a family, you know, and you do X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't matter what different things you have to deal with in life, they're always going to be an adversity yeah. instead of like an opportunity, Yep. which is so interesting because I think that's exactly how I viewed it until I hear someone else be like, oh, yeah, I went for this or they're doing something in your life like – that you want to do and you have never given it a go and they're like, oh, yeah, I just did it. And you're like, first of all, you're like, fuck you for, for being so, like, blasé about it and just getting it. And you're like, oh, actually, they worked really hard for that and I'm just sitting here and not doing <laughs> it and limiting myself because I don't think I can do it. Yeah. Um, I'm not waiting. I'm waiting until I'm ready to do it. Is that I think that was Jack said. He's like, I'm waiting. Yeah. You shouldn't wait to be good at gymnastics before you go for Ninja Warrior. Like, you should just go for it and get good at it while you do it and fail and keep keep trying. Because, like, 1% of the population is going to try, so you've got pretty good odds. <laughs> like. Yeah, and you're never going to know. Like, that's a big one with speaking, and I, I spoke to someone on Saturday about that as well. It's mm. like, because um, I get, pe- most people, when we sit down, I'm pretty intense with, like, if I see something in you, I'm going to say, this is what you're good at. You should probably try that. And if they resist and resist, I'll just keep pushing mm. until they finally fucking get that. Yeah. Like, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. Like, you're good at this. And I had that conversation with a friend about the way he articulates. Mm. I was like, bro, you you don't do anything that requires you to speak. How are you so good at speaking? And he's like, brother. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Come, brother, let me show you. <laughs> and so, like, uh, I was trying to, to push him into a podcast and he was resisting. He's like, oh, I'm not, not good at doing this sort of stuff. And it's like, well... The best way to learn is like if you actually Dude. start a podcast and talk to people, that's where you're gonna like work on your craft. You have to oh. be shit to to start at something. If you've started and you think you're perfect, like you've started way too yeah. late. Mm. That's what a, a lot of the fear is. Like for me, I think I've I really trust in the way that I speak and I believe that if I speak the right thing will come out. Mm. And that's because of podcasting. Like mm. oh, I've yeah, spoken yeah. to so many people, done so many podcasts that it just translates into conversation, into speaking on stage, into whatever. It's like, unless you start, you're never going to know and you're always going to be comparing yourself to the people who are high, high level, like until you actually speak mm. in a small room with new upcoming speakers and put yourself yeah. against them and go, oh, shit, I'm actually very good in mm. comparison. Yeah, <laughs> and it's taken a while to get there, but you get there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
yeah, it's funny how there's no like perfect outcome actually. Like when you're aiming for a perfect outcome, you get there without realizing it and then you're like, oh, I'm only halfway in my head, but I got to where I thought I couldn't get to. Yeah, if you actually reflect on what you've previously yeah. done, you can container. always see improvement. Yeah, the yeah. container is like mm. a few episodes ago. Now we're shooting for what? A suit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. why well, settle for a container? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you need a container. Yeah. <laughs> Unless like, you've got a lot of leftover lasagna. Then <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, how big was this container? <laughs> oh, huge. <laughs> um, okay, so I think part of what we do on the podcast is like we talk about your biggest challenges. It obviously goes without saying you faced a lot of <laughs> challenges in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more than the average person, but... In what you do in terms of work, um, and I know you spoke about public speaking and how that was a challenge for you, what is a current challenge you're dealing with at the moment? Um, is it that the sexual health workshops aren't sticking? You're not sure why? Like uh, Body image. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. So um, body image and loneliness, mm. I'd say. For uh, yourself? Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, just like I, I hurt the friend back in New Zealand when – when I moved to Perth and then split and I had this period where I was living with a best friend in Como. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we represent Como. <laughs> we actually got Como? our cold brew coffees from Como. Sorry, Tentra. Fiend. Yeah. <laughs> Fiend merchant <laughs> Como. Yeah. <laughs> Just plug, yes. Um, yeah, we're living there and, you know, he was, he was playing up and looking back now, I was triggered at the behaviour that I was seeing that reminded me of who I was. And so I decided to tell his partner, who was also a good friend of mine, that these nights where he wasn't coming home, he was with someone else. Mm. And so I created this the story in my mind that I don't deserve friendship because I hurt my best friend. And so I've gone so deep into business and learning my craft and being good as good as I can be at what I do that I've really isolated myself from friendship and on the other side of friendship is like play, like yeah. having fun. Mm. So fun for me is like working on my business. Fun for me is mm. all this sort of stuff or, or hanging out with my girls. And so mm. for me it's working on that story that I am going to mess up my friendship somehow mm-hmm. and allowing friends back into my life. Like I've spent the last couple months reaching out to people and meeting up and doing stuff that I consider fun because this loneliness that has come from cutting myself off and that story has created a, a deep dependence on like sugary junk food to mask the sadness and like the want to, to cry because I feel alone. And so that that dependence on sugar has taken me from someone who's like very fit, very in shape to being overweight and like being a health risk, like pre-diabetic. So Right. At the moment, I'm on like an elimination diet, done my bloods to understand where I'm at mm-hmm. so that I can pull that back, pull back my uh, dependence on junk food to cover up sadness and loneliness so that I can work on that story, pull that back and allow myself to have fun and accept friendship. Mm. So that's a big one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you say actually that's so interesting because everything you've said is it's come from – you wanting to make an improvement. So I imagine that you speak to a lot of people, even that friend, you know, the example you gave where he's great at enunciating words and he can speak really well, but he didn't believe it. And you have to keep telling them, be like, you're actually really good at this. You should do it. You should do it. You should do it. But until they want to do it, they're not going to do it. Um, 
and it sounds like it's the same thing with yourself and like I can resonate with that. I don't know about you, but like unless you want to help yourself, you're absolutely not going to do it and it's not going to happen for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to say around like around that? Like how do you find motivating yourself obviously with the health risk with, you know, if, if body image is the issue and you're like, oh, actually it took realising I'm a health risk to do something about it. What what can people do if they're in a similar situation? They just can't seem to want to do anything about it or recognise. Maybe they are at the awareness stage. I think you have to at least be self-aware to then want to be motivated to do something. How do you usually talk? Do you talk to people about that at all? Yeah, I think for for most people in these spaces, you have to hit like a critical mass or a critical low where it's like an aha moment. Mm. A lot of us, like just like I had with uh, like narcissism and being selfish, like the attempt was my aha moment. It was like, oh, shit. Like I nearly just took away my daughter's dad. Mm. Like, yeah. Bro, what are you doing? Mm. And that was my aha moment to, to work on changing who I was. For me, it was getting sick um, from from my second Moderna jab and like mm. like really fearing for my life in hospital. I was like, whoa, okay, I know my family has a history of heart disease. Right. Um, it's compounded by taking this thing. I've got to do something about it myself so that I don't, you know, again, take away my daughter's dad. Mm. And you kind of put that outside you as well. You're like, how's it going to impact other people? Mm. Yeah, and then I guess there has to be awareness around why you're doing what you're doing because there's for someone in that space, there's going to be hopelessness there's going to be um a lack of trust we all we all know what the right thing is to do like i know that i shouldn't be buying an ice cream from Seven mm. Eleven, but i do it anyway mm. or have been doing it anyway you know and every time um, we do something like that we break uh a little more of our trust in ourselves and so for someone in that position they likely have shame they have very little trust in themselves probably have a, a level of resentment and it's like, okay, am I willing to work on letting that go? Because if you've been in that space long enough, then you're probably in a space where that's your norm. Yeah. Like, although yeah. that's destructive, that's what you're comfortable with. Mm. You're comfortable with bashing yourself mentally. You're comfortable with talking down, um, talking, or bashing yourself in public to other people, whether it's like making fun of your size or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, are you willing to let that go? And what does it look like to become someone who's not that who's not dependent on that mm, wow yeah it's um i think it's a big thing like for people to let go of being in that space and accept joy it's like do you are you willing to accept that you're worthy of being happy yeah. you know because people in that space are like oh i'm a burden i've got nothing going for me i don't deserve xyz it's like well if you have that belief you're always going to repel it like if someone <coughs> yeah. comes into your life it's like it's like if you're someone who finds yourself in a relationship that's always toxic, you're always being gaslit. Mm. Yet if you're in, in those relationships or if you're single at a point and you're like, oh, I always attract X sort of guy, it's like you're, you're going to keep attracting that sort of guy because that's what you believe you, you deserve. deserve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like until you expand that belief and allow yourself to say, hey, I actually deserve a guy who has the emotional capacity to make me feel safe in my shit. Until you have that belief, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, that reminds me of you're going to have to remind me the comedian's name, but the um, oh, what was she? There was a comedian who did like a, a Netflix special, and I forgot what it was called. I'm going to have to keep. I'm going to have to keep it in my brain. But um, she 
basically is like a fantastic comedian and a lot of her work um, work is like around self-deprecation um and she delivered this like hilarious comedian like oh Nanette um, yeah Nanette yes no, thank that's, you that's the, that's show. the show Hannah Gadsby Hannah Gadsby you. yeah. it's your name it's your own name <laughs> I know that's I, I gotta <laughs> so I was Hannah like Gadsby. this is embarrassing and I can't think why um <laughs> Hannah Gadsby yeah she did this like amazing like she just did her usual comedian special um, and then at the end she just turned it and she immediately just went to, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not sitting here and like relying on self-deprecation for my humour. I'm not going to let you guys laugh at me anymore. I'm not going to let myself laugh at me anymore. And she just like, absolutely killed it. And like mm. the silence in the room spoke to like everyone reflecting on how much people do that to themselves. Just yeah. like in general, like everyone will it's so weird that we go out and we're like oh yeah like let's just make fun of my like my body today to make myself feel like I fit in with other people or like you know to like bring myself down enough to feel like well it's safer to do that right it's safer to have it's safer to do that yourself and preempt what someone's gonna say because then we mitigate how much it's gonna sting when someone else says it but if we all didn't do that, we wouldn't say that about each other. Yeah. Like, that's the catch, <laughs> right? It's, mm. it's But I think it comes from a place of, like, you've experienced it before. So for Hannah Gadsby, she grew up, mm. um, like, queer and her family didn't really accept it. Peep, she was actually brutally attacked and, like, never talked about the sexual assault and, like, how she um, was, yeah, attacked in public and people just didn't help yeah. her and... Nothing happened and she kind of bottled it right up and then, you know, she, yeah, similarly she coped in it, um, coped with it in ways that were not healthy um, and then she made fun of those facts. Like she's like, oh, I'm single because of this. I'm not a Mardi Gras gay because of this. Um, and she would use that in her humour and she's hilarious but um, she came out and did that in a net special and at yeah. the end she was just like, fuck it and if this ends my career, so be it. Yeah. Like because yeah. I can't do this anymore. Like it is so much more j- damaging to me and other gay people out there um, to go up on stage and actually make fun of this as a, for a living. Like she was like, I can't believe I've done this for so long. Um, and she's super intelligent. She's autistic as well. So she's had wow. to deal with that. Yeah. Her whole life and make fun of it on stage. And then the, when she talked about it for real and was like, I actually really want to help people. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not this person. Like I, I want people to be able to approach me and say like, Oh, I'm like you. But if you start talking about yourself negatively, they're going to be like, Oh fuck, I'm like her. And then they're going to, yeah. yeah, go down this path is what she was saying. So it's, yeah, so it's such a... It's massive. Yeah, huge, yeah. I would recommend watching if you have. And she's done a special since, and her comedy is just as good, it's just different. Yeah. No, she still has a talent. she's, just she's funny. Just, yeah, she's a funny <laughs> gal, and she yeah. talks about, like, funny stories when she, res- like, she got married recently, so the recent special was how she proposed to her partner, and she's so talented, but it was so different to the deprecating stuff that she used to do mm. good example huh? it's yeah. cool yeah 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 it's yeah. really good she was wicked yeah sounds like you do something similar like yeah. i feel like yeah it's, you're starting um, to it's uh I'm, I'm working on pulling myself out of a space where i tell my story as part of what i do mm. it's like finding other people to tell their story so i don't have to so that i'm not consistently attaching myself to past versions of me because in order to create a connection within a story there has to be like emotional an emotional low and then paint myself in a certain light which is someone who is a cheating narcissist who is a, a pig of a man mm. who then comes through like these 
different journeys and ultimately become someone he's he's proud of yeah. as a man, as a father, whatever. And so for me, I'm working on stepping away from that so I'm not constantly putting myself in a position yeah. where I attach to the past. Like yeah. I, I want to expand, I want to become something more yeah. and that requires me letting go of being that person. Yeah. And it's served me up until now. Like it's really served me. It's given me all these opportunities. Yeah. Uh, but now it's time to find people to do that. Yeah. Funny you were talking about comedians. I saw a post from Chris D'Elia this morning. He's got a little son and that was a catalyst for him to give up his narcissistic cheating like background, his history that came out all of a sudden and almost cancelled almost cancelled his career. Um, as we do these days, people are very easily cancelled. Um, and he was he's posted this picture of his kid doing this big toothy smile and he's like, damn, when I was his age or a little bit older, I used to hate people telling me, to smile and say cheese because it would be like I'm smiling on my own terms I don't and he just was moody and like that kind of informed him uh his personality and his attitude towards things growing up um and he's like but it all fucking washed away when I saw my kid smile when someone else said cheese and he's like now I'm you know his son's name's dad who smiles when people tell me to say cheese because his whole life he's like no one's gonna tell me what to do like it's such a bad attitude towards this one small simple thing that we do in every culture I think you know smile don't fucking tell me to smile you're like it's a photo you have to come on um (laughs) but it was so deeply ingrained in who he was the attitude of like I can do what I want no one's gonna tell me what to do I can cheat on my partner and blah blah I'm a comedian I deserve to have hundreds of women you know in my bed every night um and then he had a kid and was like oh my god like I completely not my life not me not who I want to be actually horribly like ruined and he like is super open now about his bad days his mental health issues um which yeah it's so cool to see really more people doing that but also public figures that have the authority to talk about it in an audience where people actually like them for the deprecating behavior that they Mm. displayed and promoted so that makes come them back feel and, yeah. like they're allowed to do it mm. and it's okay because I do that too and like you said like you mm. just relate to them mm. but then you can relate better way. and be like oh actually yeah. I am a dad too why the hell am I behaving like this person that's yeah. not me at all or makes me happy yeah oh wicked yeah what a good <laughs> chat I love that <laughs> that was so good thank you sweet thanks <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. And if you enjoyed that one, make sure you share it across your networks. We'll see you back here for the next episode.